you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Paul Turner. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Adam. Mads, thank you for offering me the opportunity. I am super, super excited for today's episode, but before we jump into it, would you mind giving the audience a little bit of background on who you are and how you ended up where you are right now? Well, my background's not your average social entrepreneur or business background in the sense that at the age of 19, I actually became a monk. So for the first, for, for the next 14 years, I focused on discipline, building self-confidence, mind control, sense control, and purify, you know, purifying my whole life and sort of diving into the spiritual aspect of life. Um, and during that process, though, even I wasn't your average monk because during that time I learned how to use a computer, I learned graphic design, I taught myself how to build websites, um, and I was doing also taught myself public relations work because my first service as a monk was uh, feeding the needy people. That was one of the outreach programs that the ashram was conducting so i learned how to cook for large quantities large quantities of people and i would you know serve the needy in sydney australia and i realized that there was great potential in that project not only in filling bellies but in communicating a message of love and respect so i started to dive into the uh, hospitality the spiritual hospitality culture of india because this ashram you know the spiritual path that I came from is, is, has roots in India. So there's a spiritual hospitality culture. And in that culture, it's very common for people to accept the fact that we're more than simply just a body. You know, there's a spiritual energy. And even it's not uncommon for like a tradesman, like a carpenter on the street. Before he starts the day, he would actually worship his tools, understanding that that energy in the form of those tools is a blessing of God. So they actually worship the tools, <laughs> which is pretty far out. Um, so, yeah, so it's very common for most people in India, in that culture, to understand that there's a spiritual side, that we, we're more than simply a physical form, and that there's a sense of equality. We're all energetically equal. So that the way they ex- one of the ways that they express that understanding is through the sharing of food. So if you go to any temple in India, it's very common that you would it's not only it's it's it happens all the time that you would actually get a freshly prepared meal any visitor any random stranger and and the same thing would happen uh with people visiting your house so there's a concept called a tithi narayan so a tithi means it's a sanskrit word and it means unscheduled and narayan is a name for god and so the tithi narayan is the unscheduled guest should be treated like god so obviously you would sit them down, give them a glass of water, feed them and so on. So in researching that spiritual hospitality culture, I realized that there was a tremendous opportunity to communicate that message, to use food as a way to communicate, to bring people together, to address the root causes of social ills. And through that experience, um, that led me into social entrepreneurship. So, so I actually ended up developing, setting up a, Nonprofit called Food for Life Global in the United States. I left Australia. And then soon after that, I, when I uh, got married, 
I realized, oh, well, I have to make money. Um, so my natural tendency was to be a social entrepreneur because my foundations are, are all about giving back and helping the community and making the world a better place and so on. And so social entrepreneurship became my guiding light. And um, so I've started many social entrepreneur endeavors. My latest one is called the OM Guarantee Certification Project, where it's a it's a service of certifying social good. So companies that want to give back can actually certify their social good and record that transaction in the blockchain. So that's called the OM Guarantee Certification. And then more recently, I got together with a bunch of my friends and the charity itself is a co-creator and we created a crypto project called the Kindly Ecosystem. And the purpose of the Kindly Ecosystem is to make it easy for anyone to be kind. So all of the financial products that this company will produce, the crypto uh, financial products, tokens and exchanges and wallets and debit cards will all come with in, embedded with social impact. So essentially what we want to do is make it easy for everyone to be kind just by using those products. So that's where I am today. And then Seven years back, uh, I, during my travels of uh, developing the charity work, um, I ended up in Colombia, the Andes Mountains of Colombia, and I, I married a Colombian woman and she runs an animal sanctuary. And so that is another whole experience right there. It's like living in the Andes Mountains with 200 animals, rescued animals. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Sounds fantastic. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a very unusual route to entrepreneurship yeah very different excellent so you mentioned you've been running a few different social entrepreneurships um what what is the difference just for the audience who isn't aware of it so what's the difference between a well, regular entrepreneurship and a social well a typical a typical business you know when people get into business they think oh you know i need to make some money you know i've got to pay the bills i want to break out i don't want to work a regular job um it's just all about meeting the bottom line like you know if i can make a thousand dollars this week i can pay my bills and this and that so the focus is about making money whereas with a social entrepreneurship a social enterprise uh the focus is not making money the focus is on social impact is on making a, a positive difference in the world and money simply follows so the, the philosophy is that if you follow your passion if you put your heart into something the money will come, the energy will flow to you, you know, that that energy in the form of money will flow to you. So there's a different mindset between a regular entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur. And in the case of like the OM Guarantee Certification Project and the Kindly Ecosystem, they're purpose-driven organizations. They're not money-driven, they're purpose-driven. So there's a purpose and everything, every decision we make has to align with that purpose of making it easy for people to be kind you know, encouraging kindness in the world, cultivating kindness in the world. And uh, the, the bottom line is that this is really where business is going. I was just on a call today with Spiral Bank. Spiral Bank is a new giving bank. It's literally the world's first giving bank. And so they they have, their philosophy is that everyone should give back. And so they actually make it, they mandate that everyone that sets up an account with them have to give back to charity some percentage of their income and it can start at 0.25 percent which is not much and you can decide how much you want to give back so they literally have a they'll have a um you know a debit account a savings account 
and then a giving account. <laughs> and then the, the individual account holders can choose the charity or the social impact they want to make. And every month, a certain amount of money goes to these charity partners on their system. So it's quite unique. It's really beautiful. And there, there are, there's an example there of a purpose-driven bank, which is, when you think about it, is very unusual because when we think of banks, we think of greed and selfishness and, you know, massive control and influence. And, and this is a very, this is turning the banking, the financial industry on its head, so to speak, uh, focusing on giving and allowing the money to flow. And they're doing really well. They're growing very fast. Uh, it's a new bank, but they're growing very, very fast. So that's one example. And um, so that's just basically the difference there is that it, the, the mentality, what, what legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to make $10 million and, and uh, just buy things? Or do you want to help 10 million people and leave a legacy of, of positivity and love and respect and so on? Because ultimately, you can't take that money with you. When we die, we don't take any, anything with us but our wisdom and our spiritual credits. Yep. So a, a social entrepreneur, a purpose-driven organization is focused on that legacy. Interesting. And yeah, interesting you have also bumped into the blockchain and so on. I, I actually had the opportunity to look a little bit at the project and so on. It looks super interesting. So what, what, what made you sort of jump on the blockchain thing in the first place? Well, I always, I recognized it as, as the future of business because the way we, the world that we live in now is really not a democracy. It's a corporatocracy, a technocracy where the corporations and the technical tech, you know, technologies of the world are controlling everything. Not only, not only do they control the flow of money, but they control policy. And we all know very well that 99.9% .9 of all the politicians, the leaders of the world are compromised you know, by, by these corporations, they're bought out, you know, and it's, it's, it's as clear as day now. And it's more so now than it has ever been because of the internet, because of free, because of the ability to research and dig down and, and do, you know, um, find out what's really going on 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that was much more difficult, but now you have Google. So um, blockchain is part of that evolution wherein it enables the individual to get back that power. Because right now, when you, when, if we, you and I want to make a transaction, we have to go through MasterCard, Visa, or so on, so many different financial entities in order for the money to reach you. And then along the way, they take their piece of the pie. Um, with crypto, it's direct. It's peer-to-peer. -peer. I can literally do business with you, and no one's in the middle. Um, and that's revolutionary because it puts the power back in the hands of the individual rather than in the hands of the big banks. So there's no doubt in my mind that blockchain is the future of, of the foundation of all new technologies that will go forth. And crypto is simply an extension of that. It's just a new way of doing business, um, which is more cost efficient, faster. There's another company that recently launched called StrikeMe, S-T-R-I-K-E dot me. And what they're doing is they're revolutionizing the peer-to-peer -peer giving. Like most of us are aware of things like Western Union and say trans TransferWise or PayPal, right? Um, and they have their benefits. They, you know, they work, but ultimately they're still using the traditional financial systems. So what Strike Me is doing is they're using blockchain to transfer money around the world. And blockchains are very well established, decentralized network. So literally you can go on to Strike Me. And so I want to send money to you 
someone in um well you're um you're in denmark right i want to send money to you and i want you to receive it in in denmark currency i can literally give my and i'm in colombia right now i can convert my colombian peso to bitcoin the money is instantly transferred to your account in denmark and then you can receive it in in denmark currency within minutes and that's yeah. revolutionary so you know there's technologies like that are paving the way for the future and there's no doubt that they're here to stay yeah no i i totally agree and i mean i've lived all around the world for for a long time and uh, definitely i mean a lot of progress even before blockchain a lot of progress have happened in the last three four five years right something like transferwise for example have definitely made life a lot easier but yeah you're right i mean sometimes uh, particularly in the dealing with us right like sometimes when you make a transfer to the us it takes a couple of days and it, yeah. it's crazy nowadays that something that simple takes that much time right it's like i want to just give you some money i want to help a friend here's 20 dollars, you know to pay for your electricity bill or whatever the uh, the only way f- for that to be efficient is using blockchain technology yeah. and crypt- cryptocurrency yeah and I, I mean so two two benefits i see from it is what one is it's super more effect- efficiency but it's also how it's actually pushing the traditional banks because i think a lot of banks have started to woke up and see well actually we can't spend a week transferring money from us to china or whatever think- they're playing catch up they're playing catch up and you'll see that all the big banks they're all if they haven't publicly admitted admitted it they're all dipping their toes in crypto they're they're buying up bitcoin you know they understand this is the future so a lot of people don't admit it a lot of institutions don't admit it but they have their they have their investments in bitcoin in ethereum and you know the bigger cryptocurrencies more established cryptocurrencies of the world yeah it's very interesting very interesting so, Paul, you mentioned something as well that I find super interesting, which was about mind control and managing your mind and, and sense control and so on. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like if we start with the mind and, and confidence and so on, if if the different entrepreneurs sitting listening here, like what what is some, some useful tips and tricks and so on they can use when, when it comes to their mind? Yeah, the mind is, you know, a... Um... A mysterious force. And that's the thing you have to understand right out the gate is that the mind is not you. It's a different energy. It's a it's a tool that we use to navigate this material world. So that's one of the first things I learned when I become a monk. Because you can imagine at the age of 19, practicing celibacy is no joke, right? So you really have to learn to control your mind and senses if you want to be sincere in that path. So we live very simply. I, I slept on the floor. I didn't sleep on a bed for those years i slept in a sleeping bag on the floor i often didn't even use a pillow i used my hands i ate at regulated times um we had you know very regulated uh, lifestyle eating sleeping recreation and so on and all of those things help to manage the mind the mind you have to see is like a mischievous child and in order to rein in a mischievous child or a puppy dog you have to create boundaries you know you have to you constantly have to monitor the little puppy dog or the little child because you don't know what they're going to get into they're going to stick their finger in the electrical socket or whatever so that's sort of the approach you have to take once you understand that you are not the mind 
you know, the mind is just a tool. It's not you. One way to understand the difference is like this. This is the analogy I give. Say you're on top of a big building and you're looking over the edge of that building and you're looking down and you're 50 stories up. So the natural inclination of the mind is to say, oh, I wonder what it would be like to jump. I wonder what it would be like to be like a bird and just sort of fly, you know, and fly through the sky. That's the mind. The intelligence then kicks in and says, that's crazy. You're not a bird. You don't have feathers. And if you jump, you're going to die and you've got children to support. So there's, there's a conversation going on between the mind and the intelligence. The mind is the problem solver. The intelligence is a decision maker. You know, it's a lot more like a computer. Yes, no, yes, no. That's a good idea. That's a bad idea. It's analyzing. It's analytical. But someone, there's something or some phenomena is witnessing that conversation. That's the soul. The soul is witnessing that conversation. So there's a third energy, and that's the presence of the soul. So the soul is what's animating the physical form. The soul is a seat of consciousness. So when we die, um, everything is present in a dead body except the presence of the soul. The heart is still there, the lungs, the blood, the brain. But something is missing that has stopped the body being animated or being able to communicate. And that is the soul. That's a different type. It's a very, very subtle energy, this, the finest of all energies. And that's ultimately the source of who we really are as uh, our real identity, our real self. And so once we understand these different energies, that there's a physical form that we're animating, which is enabling us to fulfill certain desires and have certain physical experiences as we navigate through this material world in order to evolve our consciousness, once we understand that difference, then it becomes easier to manage the mind, to understand that the mind can be our best friend. It can either be our worst enemy or our best friend. And it takes discipline. So in the famous a famous spiritual book from India called the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is talking to his friend Arjuna, and Arjuna is a great warrior. And they're just about to, uh, there's, there's a great battle just about to take place. And Arjuna is saying, you know, I can't do this. This is difficult. I don't know. And Krishna is telling him, you have to fight because you have to fight to protect religious principles. And uh, my mind is reeling. I, I can't, you know, I'm feeling confused here. And Krishna said to him that the mind is like the wind. It's very difficult to control the wind, but you can with practice. So the mind is a very difficult thing uh, to control, but you can, with, through discipline and regulation, you can start to reel it in and make it, make it your best friend. And that's important if you want to be successful in life, not just in business, um, to make that distinction, uh, to understand that we use the mind as a tool to navigate this world, to, pro to solve problems, to think outside the box. And then we use the intelligence to analyze those ideas. And then we, as a soul, as the, the host of the body, we then go forward, you know, down this path or that path. Yep. That sounds, that makes a lot of sense. And I've, I've never thought about it like that because I think most people think <laughs> of intelligence and the mind being kind of the same thing. But same thing. Uh, it's not. That's According the to the ancient, uh, many spiritual traditions, there are eight material energies. And it's earth, water, fire, air, and ether. So they're the, they're the gross energies. Obviously, the ether is very subtle. Ether is like, you know, the subtle energies. Uh, then the more, more higher than that is the mind. And then even finer than that is the intelligence. 
Uh, and then the finer than that is the ego, the false, what's called the false ego, which which is where we identify with the physical form. But above them all is the soul. So there are eight material energies which make up everything that we see manifested in this material world: earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. So the idea of of spiritual, of self development, or self realization, is to get beyond the false ego stop identifying with this physical form and start identifying with your true self within so that requires practice that requires purification that requires controlling the senses and going deep because right now our consciousness is tuned into this physical form we can see our our brain is like you know like a like a computer or a radio and based on our level of consciousness we're tuned into a particular frequency so as you purify your senses, control the mind and practice meditation and so on, you can literally change that frequency that the, that the brain is tuning into and you can tune into high, higher, higher frequencies and get a, more, a, a better understanding of the world that we live in. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So um, in, in terms of confidence specifically, like what are some of the things that you go around like doing to to sort of improve your confidence knowing knowing that well one i wrote a book a couple of years ago called soul power the five noble truths and in that book i, I take a different approach to it's a book it's a book about affirmations but it's a book uh approaching this idea of self-empowerment and confidence from a spiritual perspective because typically when you hear people talking about confidence, it's like, it's all rah, rah, rah. Just get out of bed, take a cold shower, you know, just man up, you know, and it's very, very external and, and it doesn't have a lot of, it's coming from the perspective of, of, of physicality that we're a physical form and we shouldn't be lazy. But if you, if you change that perspective and understand that you are a spiritual spirit soul, you are energetically, qualitatively like god but just very small and we, the soul itself is what is animating this physical form if you start to take look at yourself from that perspective then you can draw from those godly qualities which are natural to you we literally have the same qualities as god which just in a smaller capacity and it's similar to a drop of the ocean has the same qualities as the entire ocean there's no difference it's the same quality. You take a drop of the ocean, put it under a microscope, it's the same thing as the entire ocean. So similarly, we as souls, we are qualitatively like God. We're godly in nature. And as a godly person, as a godly entity, we are very confident. We should feel confident because we have power. We have spiritual power. We, first of all, we can't die. Energy can't be destroyed. And that's a fact in even basic mundane physics that energy doesn't just it cannot be destroyed it just changes just changes shape so that's the same on the spiritual world we are we are a form of energy that also can't be destroyed so we never die death is an illusion when you die you're simply just changing you're just moving into a different realm or moving into a different body we're just moving we're constantly moving so once you understand your godly nature and that you are eternal and that you have, uh, you know, you're, you're the child of the most prosperous, most grand, most perfect personality. If you believe in a personal form of God, if you don't, that's fine too, because you could say that, well, I'm, you know, I'm part of 
part of the universe and the universe is eternal as well. Um, but once you understand that godly nature, then you should be confident. The natural result of that would be amazing confidence. So when you go into competition and you shake someone, someone's hand and you look them in the eye, you look at them as a soul and you, you, you present yourself as, you know, something more than simply, simply a physical form. And when you, when you have that mentality, that perspective, when you speak the simplest words, it can have profound effect on people because you're speaking from a source of, of, of true wisdom. Um, so that can give you great confidence. And I actually write about this in another book I wrote called The Yoga of Pool because I used to be a um, teach billiards. And, um, and I wrote a book on how to, you know, how to play pool. But I, in, in the part where I talk about sports psychology, introduce sports psychology, rather than just, you know, um, talking about the traditional sort of sports psychology lingo, I drew from my, my roots as a, as a monk. And I introduced concepts from the ancient spiritual scriptures within the context of playing pool. And uh, as a result of that, it's a very unique sort of approach to that subject for that industry. And it's one of the best-selling books in, in the billiards industry to this day. Interesting. It's, it's quite different. Because even any, any sporting competition, you, you'll know who the winner is right at the beginning. When, you, when, when two boxers are facing off, they're looking at each other in the eye. And they're, they're, they're sensing the confidence level. It's all about confidence. 90, 90% of success in any sporting event is, is mentality. If you have a winning mentality and you, you're confident and you know you can win, you're 90% there. So that, that same thing can even be in passive sports like billiards or ping pong. If you have confidence and you, when you approach that competitor with confidence, that can deflate their, their confidence and, and put them on the back, in, on the back foot and you can, you can win, even if you don't have as good a skills. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've, I've looked at confidence a little bit differently. So the way I typically look at confidence is saying that I, I think a lot of the time what, what you said, sort of the typical analogy that most people look at it and how they see it is, is this rah, rah, all that stuff. The, the way I've looked at it is, is basically confidence is showing ourselves what we're capable of doing because i think i think for a lot of people have a lot of self-doubt there are a lot of like oh you know can i really do this is this really my thing and so on um whereas i see it very much as uh, confidence is really just showing yourself what you're capable of doing um and that, that's how i've looked at confidence for many years right so it's not it's not about proving things to other people it's actually yep. about proving to yourself what you're capable of. Yeah, and, believing in yourself. If you and so if you have this understanding that you're a, an amazing, powerful spiritual being, when you go into any physical combat or you know material challenge, you're going to draw from that understanding, from that perspective, and you're going to have supreme confidence because you're going to think, well, you know, I, I can't be hurt. I can't be hurt. Um, whatever happens, it's, it's not, it's a physical body. I'm, I'm greater than this physical body. I'll, I'll do what I can with this physical form, with the tools that I have, but myself, I'm, you know, I can't be beaten because I'm a, uh, I'm perfect and perfect and complete as I am. Even if I am missing a finger or me, you know, I actually miss, missing one finger here. When I was 16, I lost top of my finger. 
<laughs> so I feel 100%, although I'm 90, 99%. I'm not physically not complete. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, so so the way I, I noticed it early on in my life was I, I started traveling and I, I moved to, to a foreign country already when I was 18. And one of the things that I noticed pretty early on was I... I gained the confidence from showing myself I could do it. And, and at some point I was like, you know, you can take everything I own, everything I have, and you can drop me in a random country somewhere on planet earth. And I'm confident that I will figure out how to build a life. Like I, I was confident that, you know, even if I'm in somewhere, I don't speak the language, even if I'm somewhere where there isn't a lot of resources, like I would find a way to, uh, to, to live a good life. Right. And yeah, I, I, I think that, that that was what I thought about a lot when I started thinking about confidence. And because I think I've always had it, but I've just never, under, I never understood when I was younger why I was confident. But I think a lot of it was, was exactly as I was saying, like proving to myself that I am capable of doing the things. And a lot of the time, I, I see many people are like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the gym next week and stuff like that. And people tell themselves a lot of things that they didn't don't follow through on. And I think, I believe that every time you do that, you basically, you're showing yourself that you can't trust yourself. Right. <laughs> and, and I th I think that that's probably what brings down confidence rather than building it up. Yeah, and you've, got you... to, you've also got to like overcome fear. You know, and so what happens with confidence, it's, it's a quality that has to be cultivated because even though, you know, fair enough, from the spiritual perspective, we should be confident if you understand you're a spiritual being. But obviously that takes time to cultivate, cultivate even that understanding because we're so, we're so conditioned, you know, from, the, from birth. You, you are Billy, Billy Smith and you're an Australian and, you, you know, you have this color and this is who you are and these are your parents. And so we're, we're, we're program from the beginning that this physical form is our is our identity and obviously it's it's just a vehicle that we use to express ourselves as souls so fear is the biggest challenge when it comes to confidence and the only way to overcome that is to face your fears you know to to put yourself in situations like you're just talking about where if you you're thrown into a country where you can't speak the language and just overcoming it overcoming that fear and that that then breeds confidence which then breeds more confidence. It's like it's like it's it's a self-fulfilling thing. As you get a little bit of confidence, that can feed into the further confidence. So you've got the initial the initial stages overcoming fear, taking the risk and facing your fears and seeing, you know, for, um, sort of playing out your full potential, you know, not limiting yourself. And this again comes back to the mind. Because the mind will convince us otherwise. The mind will say, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're not fast. That's the mind. But we have to then use the intelligence and analyze, you know, rationally. Is that really the truth? Or is that just the mind speaking nonsense? And so it all, it all ties in. So if we, if we have that spiritual understanding, if we understand that we are not the mind, if we're ready to take a risk and, and cultivate confidence, then you can be like a super confident, super successful person. And, you know, I, th I think all businesses are a lot like that, right? Like like yeah. businesses, when you start a company for the first time, whichever shape or form, like there's so much stuff you don't know, 
right? There's so yeah. many things to overcome and there's so much stuff where you just have to go at it and you have to, you have to go at it knowing that you don't know what you're doing, knowing that, you know, <laughs> you, you need to figure it out along the way. And, you know, yeah. like the first time you hire someone, the first time you, I don't know, launch a new product or whatever you're doing, right? Like it's all a new thing and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to figure it out. If you, if you keep at it, you'll find it. My dad would say he wasn't, he certainly wasn't a source of wisdom. My dad, <laughs> but he, at least one thing I remember him saying is, is you've got to have a go, son. You've got to have a go. You got to try. And I, so I, I, I remember that. So you just got to try. You don't know. And, and most successful entrepreneurs, we're talking like even the biggest of them all, they don't have all the answers right out the gate. They're figuring it out as they go along, you know, and, and that's just part of the process. It's part of self-realization. It's part of uh, building up your character. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. What, what about the sense control you mentioned? Well, the senses are like, you can think of the mind as like the king of the senses, and the senses are like the, you know, the, 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 uh, the what do you call it? The, the citizens, right? So one thing to understand here is that when you control, when you get the senses under control, when you get the citizens all working together as one, you can actually override the mind. Similarly, just like in, in civil society, if people unite as one voice and don't play into this foolish narrative that we're all, you know, independent. We're all like, you know, uh, we're not connected. We're not united. You know, well, I'm this color, you're that color. We're on this culture that all this nonsense narrative, which is dividing us. Yes, there's differences, but there should be uni unity in diversity. So we embrace the diversity because we're all very different. Just like everyone, you go to a flower, like a forest and, or a garden, there's so many flowers, but the total, you know, um, blanket of flowers makes a beautiful mosaic, makes a beautiful picture, right? It's a, and we call it a garden. So similarly, if if the citizens of the world united, we could overthrow these governments. We could control, we could kick out all these corrupt politicians and install actual real quality leadership. And in the same way, when we learn to control the senses, beginning with regulating them, we can start to reel in the mind, which is the king of the senses. So one of the things we learn as monks is it's important to control the tongue. And the tongue is considered to be the most voracious of all the senses. And the tongue has two qualities, tasting and vibrating. So what you speak, the word, the vibrations that you make with your tongue, really do impact your consciousness you know the way you perceive the world your behaviors and so on they, they mold the way you perceive the world similarly what you eat the, the the food that you put on your tongue will also impact your consciousness negatively or positively so we were very careful about the type of food that we ate we only ate a vegetarian diet so we avoided foods which are which were you know came from violence or, or anger or suffering or pain. So we, we ate down the food chain and ate foods which were less, you know, cultivated with less violence, more clean, pure energy and so on. And similarly, we, um, we also learned to control our tongue, the vibration of our tongue, the words we spoke, only speaking the truth, 
only speaking words which are uplifting and encouraging to others, um, speaking affirmations, chanting mantras, prayers, all of these things raise our consciousness. They change, they change the way we perceive the world. So that's one of the way, one of the senses, controlling the tongue through ma managing the vibration and, and, and the tasting. And then the other senses, what you're looking at, what you're hearing, all of these things are, you're bringing in energy, you're bringing in influences, which can impact the consciousness negatively or positively. And, and at the same time, can pollute the mind or purify the mind. So it was as monks, it was all about purifying the senses, purifying the mind, purifying the consciousness, because the more pure your thoughts are, the more focused you are, the better chance you have at tapping into the higher spiritual frequencies and, and getting an understanding of your true self, self-realization. Yep, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Excellent, Paul. I think that was very, very interesting. So <laughs> if, uh, if people want to know more about yourself or your projects and so on, what's the best place to, to do so? You can, I have, most of my social media is Paul Rod Turner, Paul Rod Turner. My website is paulrodneyturner.com. Um, the charity I, I direct, Food for Life Global, is ffl.org. Mm -hmm. And the crypto project is kindlycoin.com. If they want to learn about the crypto project, the idea of the, uh, the kindly ecosystem, promoting kindness. And the other social enterprise is the Om Guarantee project, which is omguarantee.com. O-M, like Om, like the spiritual sound. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, perfect. And just here at the end, any resources or anything you'd recommend to people uh, in their entrepreneurial journey to, to help improve? Yeah, so there's one uh, thing I came across more recently about a year ago. I'm trying to think of the name. Um, it's this, it's called this. It's it's a gentleman. I can't remember his name, but you can look up Story Brand, uh, and it's, it's all about. Yeah, do you remember his name? What I'm talking about? Uh, I probably don't, but um... Story so Story Brand is a very interesting approach to developing your business. Um, it really gets to the heart of what motivates you, what makes you happy, what excites you and it's uh he basically runs you through a process of telling your personal story telling the story of your brand and I, I feel like that's invaluable because most companies start off with very vague sort of missions and goals it's just you know we we, we identified a way to make money and that's it you know like we can we can buy something for a dollar and sell it for 10 and and let's go for it and they sort of miss, miss, miss out in, in what really drives a successful company because every successful company that you'll see in the world today, they all have a, a very clearly defined mission, vision, story. And uh, so it's important to get, get to the story, you know, find out what your story is if you want to be successful. So that's a great resource. The story brand, they can check that up. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Did Don you find Donald, Donald Miller. Donald Miller, Donald yeah. Miller, yeah, exactly. Um, other than that, um, don't forget your, as, as I've been mentioning, don't forget the spiritual side of life. Um, if you just focus on 
the physicality, you know, the physical side of the world, you're going to miss out because at the end of the, at the end of life, we don't know when that's going to come. If you are not nourished on a spiritual level, you're never going to be satisfied. It doesn't matter if you have all the all the best cars and the yachts and everything else. If you're not spiritually nourished, you're not nourishing your soul. If you're not purpose driven, you're not doing something to leave a legacy, a positive legacy in the world. You're never going to be happy. Totally. That was fantastic last words, Paul. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Mads. It's a great pleasure. And to the audience, thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.